Hey friends, uh, welcome to this episode of Crypto Study Hall. I am your host, Kirsten Wagner. And I'm your host, Kate Goldman. And today we're going to kind of delve into the existential meta question about what is crypto and why is that question so hard to answer? You know, I've talked to different experts who say that's sometimes the very hardest question to answer. You can talk all about the regulation and the policy or the use cases, but just answering the question of like, what is crypto is super hard. I think crypto is guilty of having the most self-proclaimed experts of maybe any other niche topic. If you've ever checked out crypto, crypto Twitter, it is a cacophony of people who like to talk a whole lot about crypto, but don't know a whole lot about what it is. I also think, you know, there's this inherent like belief in it, separate from the definition of mm. what is crypto. There's this interesting, like, do you believe in it or not? Which is almost like a religion on some level where there's this huge fervor of like belief in kind of the collective value in it that kind of increases its inherent value too and the demand. Absolutely. And I think a lot of this is really sort of the aftermath of Occupy Wall Street what we saw in 2008, where people are just fed up with what the banks are doing. And so they said, you know what, we're going to do our own thing. Decentralization has a unique appeal to many people. And I think a lot of people who sort of like self-identify the like soapbox crypto believers to their core, many of them believe that this is what the next step has to be in a post-banking world. Right. I mean, you bring up a good point, right? Like the, you know, crypto kind of came about, it's now a teenager. What is it, like 12 or 13 years old? And yeah. it came out right after. It's a middle schooler. <laughs> exactly. Um, going through its teen angst, I think, and being accepted. But, you know, you look at it, it came out of, um, you know, Occupy Wall Street, also the 08 financial crisis, and a whole generation that grew up seeing their parents maybe going through hardship or they themselves were going hard through hardship. So, you know, there is this pivot of, you know, is the status quo working? Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people, I was 10 when the 2008 financial crisis happened. I had no fundamental understanding of capital markets, didn't really know how a bank worked. All I knew was that my dad, who's a small business owner, was incredibly stressed out. And to me, I think that was really the original driving force behind my love for fintech. I saw the value proposition of what technology could do for access to capital, for financial inclusion. I mean, to touch on my dad a little bit more, he his business relied heavily on digital remittances. I know I'm straying from the crypto topic a, to a tad here. No, it's here. cool. It's your personal story. I love it. Yeah. I mean, um, my dad was using World Remit and TransferWise, which has since been renamed WISE, and he was using those to send money back and forth from Indonesia, Bali, Mexico. And that's what kept him chugging through the pandemic. That's so interesting. You know, I think in a weird way, and, and we've talked about, we're like of different generations, right? But yeah. I grew up um, seeing my dad, who was also a small business owner with the 88 kind of Japan stock market bubble. And my dad is a patent lawyer and he'd always bring, I think my love of fintech comes from that. He'd always bring his inventions home and it would always be something wacky, like a handheld photocopy machine. This mm -hmm. is like at the time when the fed, the fax machine was like the newest innovation. <laughs> innovation is something we always talked about at the coffee table. I think what is interesting is 
you know, the power to just help small businesses. And crypto right now is something that I think is really an opportunity for, you know, business people or entrepreneurs around the world to have like immediate access to capital, right? But that story hasn't really been told so much, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear more about the speculation on Bitcoin in the news and overnight, you know, millionaires. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a fax machine and not too long ago, that was groundbreaking technology. I'm really excited for when we look at blockchain, we look at Ethereum 2.0, crypto as it is right now. We're like, oh my goodness, we were so rudimentary back then. I think we're going to be sitting down and having a similar conversation, right. talking we, about crypto, like we're talking about the fax machine. Like this is the we're in a blocks. fax machine world right now, exactly. right? And it's super hard to explain it. I mean, I have an aunt in New York who I love, who um, you know has read the New York Times and thinks that crypto is a Ponzi scheme, and it's hard. <laughs> you know, you have to kind of like auntie-proof this topic, and yeah. it's hard to translate it, which is I think part of our motivation in starting this study hall, so people can get you know hear from the experts themselves, right? Yeah, hear from people who are genuinely doing good with crypto. You know, we're not going to sit here and kind of get in a soapbox and say, like, this is 1 million percent perfect. I want to talk about the really incredible things that are happening in crypto, but I also want to talk about the kind of crappy things. I want to talk about the scams. How do we move past that? How do we, how do we get it from middle school to high school and maybe even college of crypto? Sort of the see a little bit of that maturity happening. Absolutely. I mean, anyone who read about the squid games, like coin and <laughs> that going down, yeah. you know, millions of dollars disappearing, you know, I think there is really room for people to become informed investors and participants so that people don't fall prey to, yeah. you know, something that could cost them money. Yeah. And I think with the squid game scam in particular, there is so much FOMO and just this sort of like, frenzied urgency of like, oh my God, like I'm missing out on the next like Dogecoin or Bitcoin or totally. people are so afraid to kind of miss the boat that they're hopping on the wrong boat. And it's unfortunate and it's sad. And, you know, I feel like a lot of the people who fall victim to scams are folks who have the least to lose or the most to lose rather. Another thing that's super interesting to me when you talk about FOMO is this kind of like, you know, competition between different cities to become mm. the fear of missing out of becoming the innovation capital, right? You have obviously Silicon Valley has been innovating in this space. And then, you know, you have the Miami mayor staking a claim to crypto. And yep. now the new mayor of New York also saying he wants to be a crypto hub. And I wonder if that will happen in D.C. too, if we'll ever see like a D.C. coin. But I feel like with... Um, you know, so many people moving between cities and the great resignation that this is a time where um, local politicians, whether they're mayors or governors, are trying to make their states more, you know, attractive to the innovation community. So it's been super kind of interesting to see that play out, like who, like, and what mayors and what cities are going to be the next leaders in this community. And is there a level of FOMO um, at the government level, too? I hope so. I mean, federally, the the regulation around crypto is little bit of a slow process to put it politely but that is a massive opportunity for state and local and municipal politicians to really you know as you're talking about like position themselves and say like yeah we want to welcome in the talent we want to bring crypto in thinking about wyoming in like 2018 they were 
really early to the game saying, we're going to position ourselves as friendly. We're going to create a sandbox. I'd love to see more cities doing that. I think New York City's next up. It's so interesting. And we're at the beginning of, you know, for those with FOMO, you know, we might feel like we're late to the game, but we're actually, I think, at the very beginning of this trend, especially when you look at like applications of crypto and blockchain and like DeFi, for example, like the big revolution, maybe 50 to 500 years away. We don't know, but we're at the beginning, the very beginning, which is another reason we're doing the study hall, right? Because we're not, you know, everyone is going to be the future expert. Everyone has the capacity to learn this and become their own expert on this because this is so quickly evolving. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was on LinkedIn this morning and I saw an article, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to get paid in Bitcoin. Reminded me of uh, Eric Adams, who wants the same thing, mayor-elect of New York City. It's so interesting. There'll be a whole I IRS unit be, on yeah, um, <laughs> a whole IRS unit on crypto. I mean, that's the thing too. Yeah. Once you think about it from the standpoint of you know tax revenue, and that this could be part of like the W two payroll system. You yeah. know, it's um, it's very interesting. I think. Yeah, we wouldn't even need a crypto pay for. We could just tax crypto better exactly a little bit smoother it's hard to file your taxes for crypto i don't know if you've ever tried have you tried yeah and it was i had to you know bring my father in (laughs) i I need help with this one well i think it's going to keep a lot of um the newest classes of like accountants and tax people you know employed and focusing on this it's definitely a new kind of niche area So, yeah, I mean, we have the fear of missing out at the investor level, the state level, and then the federal level. You know, you see so much innovation with the crypto ETFs being approved now in Europe and other jurisdictions in Latin America that I think there's just tremendous pressure at this point on regulators to – the pressure is almost bursting at the seams, right? You just read the op-eds. It's um, yeah. There's a level of very vigilant impatience, shall I say, to get it approved here. And I think, um, and you know, from what I hear from industry, a lot of frustration. But we'll have some of those CEOs on as well in future episodes to talk us through, you know, the benefits of and drawbacks of, you know, moving forward here in the U.S. Right. I think the federal regulators are the only ones who are acting with, like, zero FOMO. That's they're, true. they're really kind of taking their time and that makes me nervous. That makes me a little bit, I don't know. I, I haven't seen the United States be last in line for many things. And so many countries are just doing so much with crypto. I mean, for the better or worse, you know, you've got like China who's taking one stance, El Salvador who's doing another you know, we have to try and, you Absolutely. know, maybe we won't get it right at first, but, you know, it's better than nothing. Absolutely. So I'm, um, weird fact, I'm a dual German U.S. citizen and I've had my eyes on the kind of German crypto scene. It's really exciting. The government has, you know, moved forward with more clarity on crypto regulation over the past few months. So there's a lot of opportunity, um, I think, to scale up businesses out there. And then when the U.S., you know, approves it here if they do to replicate it and bring it back to the U.S. So I think those are kind of the laboratories of innovation right now. You don't think of like, you know, Germany or Portugal as being that laboratory. But, you know, and by the way, it's not a bad place to visit if you have to, you know, do a trip out to <laughs> Portugal or Germany for your laboratory visit. Maybe that'll be our next uh, NFT conference visit is Oh, I would love to, to do, um, some friends of mine are organizing a Cryptoberfest next year. So oh, cool. Um, we will definitely have to report live from Cryptoberfest. Oh, yes. In our little uh, 
I will get us some dirndls. Yes. Or maybe we'll be gender neutral and wear our later hosen. So even better. I I am more of a pant girl myself than a than a skirt person. See, this is all really good information to know. Yeah, especially as we're sitting on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> But I think, you know, I mean, seriously, I think this is a time 2022 is going to be, I think, the year of like investigation and curiosity about crypto where it really feels, you know, that this has hit from fringe to mainstream. You know, there have been so many dinner party conversations dominating on this now. Like, well, you know, we've been ignoring this. Tell us more about this. That what before seems like a freakish fringe issue is now super interesting to people. So, yeah. I think that was the beauty of the whole GameStop, like, Wall Street bets thing that happened this winter is the big institutions, for the first time, were confronted by the fact that people can organize and they can get behind something altogether. And that is what creates large foundational shifts in the ecosystem of payments, of technology, of investing. Absolutely. And I think personally, there's never been a more exciting time to be an investor. And if you look at just the data of like the new accounts established over the past year, the average account size is like under $2,000. You have like a much greater participation of women and minorities opening accounts. And oddly enough, like the number one motivating factor for people in their 20s to open a new account was a friend. It just shows the power of friendship, right? And that is related to more equities markets. So we're seeing a lot of those platforms moving into crypto as well. And so I think there are just more and more opportunities for people starting with, you know, small amounts of money and being able to um, invest and maximize their money in a time where, you know, we're definitely seeing inflation approaching and, you know, you're just not going to get that return with cash sitting in a bank account. Yeah. And that's the scary thing. I mean, talk about FOMO. Yeah. People, I think people understand that letting all of their cash sit in a bank account or sit in a savings account isn't the right way to move, but it's just about kind of allowing people to coalesce around, Yeah, you know, just I mean, some better avenues of investing. I think this is also like a gender thing, to be honest, mm. like, um, You know, I've been working a lot on exploring how women invest maybe differently. And I saw some data that like over 60% of women who have cash in their accounts just never plan to invest it. And I think there are different, you know, reasons for that. But I think it's just so important for us all to educate ourselves on like, what can we be doing with that cash? Like, yes, it's good to have emergency cash, but not at the expense of having so much of it parked there that, you know, you're not leveraging it. And then I think the greater problem, of course, are people who don't have the savings yet, right? There's yeah. a huge amount of Americans without the emergency savings at all. So, you know, I'm really looking forward to bringing in our future guests to talk about, you know, what are the use cases for crypto to bring in new communities of people who are not currently invested? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the behavioral economics of investing, women investing, women tend to be more risk averse investors and if you look at who the dominant voices and faces in crypto are if you're a woman or a woman of color you're probably not seeing a lot of people talking about crypto who look like you have the same background as you can speak to your experiences and just sort of hear you as an investor and 
that in and of itself is a deterrent for many people. Absolutely. And it gets back to that data point of like, well, if friendship is the key data point to opening an account in the first place, well, what if you're a woman in a community of friends who are not talking about investing or crypto, right? Which happens to be a lot of us because, you know, there are social norms. Like women are not conditioned to talk as openly about money. Oh, yeah. You know, we're, we're conditioned to talk about finding meaning and purpose and passion, but not to talk about our salaries or how we're going to invest our money. And so I think just normalizing that, yeah. even in this podcast, is like very helpful because it's that kind of exposure therapy that we're missing out on of just talking about it and understanding it and being okay with um, just the basics of how to invest and what is cryptocurrency. Or otherwise we end up, you know, massively losing out on a huge opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And throw some glitter for the ladies here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, yeah, it, it's it almost feels like going against a lifetime of socialization of, oh, it's impolite to talk about your finances. It's impolite to talk yeah. about Yeah. Or that's the man's role. That's like, oh, like, you know, the breadwinner invests. Totally. That I mean, is not the world we're living in right now. Totally. And I've I've been working on a on a writing project. Just I mean, the premise, spoiler alert, is that if you can take ten thousand steps a day, you can like Take some simple steps to educate yourself and just the idea of financial wellness being a point of total neglect for a lot of us women. Like we don't have to obsess about it, but just devoting a little bit of mindfulness um, to that topic, I think, has a huge wellness benefit to us overall. Because like one of the number one sources of anxiety is it's not relationships and it's not work. It's money. Also the number one cause of divorce. Oh my goodness. <laughs> See, well, there you go. So I think um, just integrating a wellness strategy that includes a focus on finance, I think is empowering to women. And it doesn't mean we have to be, you know, materialistic or anything. It's more, you know, when you look at the fire movement and people who are focusing on money as something for freedom, mm. it doesn't have to be about the material possessions. It can also just about, you know, being free having more choices and not being dependent on factors or people outside of your own control. Absolutely. And in the pandemic, I think a lot of us have taken our self-care a lot more seriously. I mean, aside from living in our sweatpants for nine and a half months, <laughs> we really, for the best, made it a nationwide topic to, yeah, like you have to take care of yourself. You have to slow down, you know, do meditation, go for a walk. Whatever self-care looks like for you, you got to do it because it'll make you come back to work stronger and ready to work. But taking care of your finances, taking care of your uh, financial well-being, that is all part of the same, you know. Yeah, it's important as like, coin. it's not as glamorous as, you know, flossing your teeth or anything, but it's super <laughs> important. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think, yeah, so it's an important topic. And I think you're right that this period of lockdown has created this, you know, when you disrupt your habits and your schedule, you know, you, we all kind of have lived on autopilot before yeah. the pandemic and it just broke us out of our routines. And we had to think about things we maybe didn't want to think about so much. And I think, yeah, like more time on our hands and reflection on the value of investing. You know, you see this huge uptick in historic levels of retail investor participation and that is exciting. Absolutely. And I mean, retail investors, so much of this, and I'm going to touch again on what happened in February with Robinhood or with GameStop. A lot of that, and now I'm thinking, a lot of that was fueled by Reddit. Reddit is a social media app that is largely dominated by men, like almost entirely 
it has male users. Of course, there's women in Reddit, but like, where's the Reddit for women? Where is the Wall Street bets for women? Where are these online spaces? Well, I think they're going to have to go and listen to our podcast and on your TikTok <laughs> yes. account, you know. But I think, you know, I think it's an exciting time for women to kind of pioneer in this space. And I think, yeah. you know, I look at Kathy Wood from ARK Investing as like a huge role model, as someone who's created like ETFs and as someone who really has like blazed a trail for a lot of other mm. like fintech leaders. And I'm just excited to meet some of the future you know, women in this field and to have them as our guests, because I think we're all going to learn so much from them. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. And remember, fortune, fortune favors, favors the informed. informed. Thank you. <laughs>